0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. And I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Today I come to you from my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, known to some on some days as the hottest city in America, but certainly not today today. One of the misconceptions about Las Vegas is it's always like sticking your head in an oven. There are also days where it'll be the middle of the afternoon and you're sitting out on your balcony wearing two hoodies, a jacket, and all that underneath an electric blanket. That would be one of these days. But you can imagine I'm pretty cozy and settled in for an amazing conversation that we're going to have today. This is about something that we see way too often with entrepreneurs: the build it and they will come mentality. If you have that mentality, you are destined to fail. See, there's a segment idea about a system entrepreneurs can employ to give them a go-no-go test for their idea early on before they invest significant time, energy, and money. Wouldn't you love to have that? Wouldn't that be so awesome? Wouldn't it be great to have a data-driven five-step high-profit launch system? Well, I have the person here who is going to show you how it works. His name is Will Russell. He is the CEO of Russell Marketing, which specializes in e-commerce launch marketing, which has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs validate their ideas and execute successful launches. He's been featuring Business Insider Forbes, Cranes New York, Indiegogo, Startup Nation, and more. His new book is Launch in 5, Take Your Idea from Lightbulb Moment to Profitable Business in Record Time, and you can discover more I'm going to give you a link at the end of our conversation where you can go pick this up right now. But let's jump right in. Will Russell, come on in. The weather's fine.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure to
1: be here. All right. I gave off a piece of your official bio very impressive so much so and the more I look into you the more I realize I'm probably not even worthy to be in your presence and this is my show so what we like to do here before we dive in and I know you have a lot of great stuff that you're going to share with us and I love mixing it up when it comes to product brand and service launches because I used to do that as a profession tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion
2: Certainly. Thanks for the question. Great to kick off. Great to be here and yep. uh, good to hear you're in Vegas. I'm actually in Vegas uh, next month for the Consumer Electronics Show. So if you're going to be oh, yeah. in there, then perhaps we will connect there as well. But uh, in regards to my life, my my journey to date, I've been doing launch marketing uh, for, for close to 12, 14 years, I suppose. I didn't know at the time but certainly early on that it was launch marketing really though and I didn't really categorize it as such. I was running uh, event launches and, and acquisition of attendees for certain uh, nonprofits. I was launching new websites and, and helping monetize uh, kind of content on websites that, that were new. So that journey led me to a lot of high level concepts and understanding is how different businesses and different types of products or services require certain strategic marketing efforts when launching now when i finally decided to make that jump and and launch my own business in 2016 uh, i quickly realized once i got involved in in some of the product launches and pre-order work on platforms like indiegogo I, I saw how similar and how thematic some of the, the strategies that we were employing were it, it, it related to the work I'd done previously in the nonprofit space in the media space. And now in the product-based space around things like consumer packaged goods or software as a service. And I just, I saw these similarities and and decided that, Hey, why not build a business around this? And, yeah. and I did. And so I, I kind of at the time created this launch system that sure I label it as such and call it you know my launch system but obviously it's just part and parcel of a lot of these similar launch strategies that, that can be employed and and from there to take uh, the service that we offer of launching products and be able to essentially productize it with this system and say hey entrepreneurs buy this system pay for this system and then work with us to implement it i've been able to build a a successful business uh, in this specific launch niche and as you pointed out at at the start i recently published a book around it and 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 have found it quite the journey so it's it's been it's been a great experience so far it's been a great learning curve so far and and i'm glad to now be here and be able to do shows like this and share some of this information with others
1: Okay, I've been around for three months longer than forever when it comes to this online marketing space. Uh, I remember my early days as a full-blown entrepreneur when MySpace was new, hot, and exciting. And it was part of my job, unfortunately, to explain to people that no, you cannot turn the links of the top nine friends into affiliate links. There was a misconception out there that that was possible, but it isn't. So that's how far back I go. Back when MySpace Tom was somebody who we all wanted to be friends with. Well, anyway, so I have a copy of, or had a copy, I gave it away, of Product Launch Formula back when it was on CDs. And this mm-hmm. was not too far, too long after Jeff Walker had had his actual very successful first launch, the first one that made over a million dollars. So this is when he cracked the code and got it from. Emailing 22 people and selling three subscriptions to his newsletter, where one of the 22 subscribers was his wife and the other was his other email address. So I then later on bought product launch formula again, right when social media came into play. So I've, when I was involved in product launches, when I was a hired gun for that, I mostly was an adherent of. The product launch formula by jeff walker although there were some adaptations to the way we did it based on our experiences and the unique needs of the client so you have product launch formula then you have the live launch method which was created by kelly roach who's a friend of mine also a previous client and i remember her back when she was a side hustler working in corporate and she was using a different system to launch her courses so as I said, I've been around since uh, since before things that we take for granted every day even existed. Mm-hmm. So between things like product launch formula, live launch method, where would you say that your system falls between those or or how does it compare to those?
2: Well, you, that, you bring up a, a really good point and a great use case for that point. My space, a little before my time, to be honest. Uh, but I think w- what you're bringing up there is the timelessness of certain concepts and strategies. Uh, and, and so whether you're looking back to, to Jeff Walker, whether you're looking at even some of the, 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 the launch systems that are more recent, there's a couple of other folks in my space. Yep. Uh, Mark Bacotta, who launched Crowdf- who, who published Crowdfunded. We've got uh, Alex Daly launched the Crowdsourcerest that focuses very yep. much on uh, on crowdfunding and that pre-order concept that's very popular in the last five, seven years. Now, what what I found interesting when I was researching my book and really thinking, do I want to spend time and effort writing it? Is it going to actually make a difference? Was that a lot of these existing books, and I include actually in one of these Lean Startup, which is obviously one of the biggest books in this space to date, I found that a lot of the concepts and examples and strategies that are spoken about didn't kind of span the gap of time and with all the new technologies and differences coming out. So what worked in my space from a technical and tactical standpoint, such as those affiliate link or that at least idea that that was false that existed, uh, those ideas, they're wonderful, but not many books that I found step back and look at, okay, well, what is the actual underlying concept of that? rather than saying to people hey do this that and the next thing especially i feel like the books in the last decade particularly those in my space they've done that they've said hey this is what you need to do this is the next step this is the next step and i think that's useful incredibly useful for now but will that be useful in 20 years from now and i felt that a lot of the content out there wasn't applicable outside of the generation or that it was written or really took a lot of, uh, I guess, creative thinking from the reader standpoint to make it applicable to the to the kind of current era versus the previous era. And so that's where I really tried to bring a difference to the table with my book. Like you mentioned, you know, there's many product launch systems. There are many uh, folks in my space who have written books which offer similar systems. I don't right. think anything in my book from a tactical standpoint going to be like oh boy i can't find this somewhere on youtube or on someone's blog because i'm not a rocket scientist so so it's not super secretive but i think what i've managed to do with my book is ensure there has been kind of an underlying theme or uh, underlying concepts that are touched on throughout the book that can be applied to today where we're looking at things like meta ads and google ads sure but could also have been applied 20 years ago, uh, pre, even pre my space, when you're looking at perhaps more of a, a physical location, or there's less focus on the online space. And knock on wood, I can't predict the future. But I'm very much hoping that the concepts that I talk about on the strategies we talk about in the book will be relevant in 20 years time, because we're not talking about, okay, we're doing x particular tactic, like make sure you have a bunch of Shopify reviews. Okay. If Shopify doesn't exist in 20 years, then that piece of right. information may not be relevant. But instead, we're looking at, well, what is a review? Why are we looking for a review? And obviously, it's all about credibility and social proof. And so I speak more to that concept and how someone can think about that concept for their business rather than trying to point them in a very specific direction uh, for the current era. I do give examples that are relevant for the current era just to help. of make a point but i'm very much hopeful people will be able to take more from it than just those examples and and look at those more high level concepts
1: right and i I think that's um one hell of a long answer to a very short question so thank you very much and (laughs) a couple things i want to highlight and what leapt out at me is where you basically said without using the words there's not a lot new under the sun and i've been making this argument for the longest time that there are very few tactics that don't already exist or cannot be easily adapted from something that already exists or was used previously. But what makes it unique is how you apply it to the current situation and often simply how you name it. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. product launch formula and live launch method. I'm familiar with the origins of both of those. And neither one of them was something that the creator just put on a cocktail napkin it was completely revolutionary that nobody had ever tried before Mm -hmm. it was just a matter of how they applied their own unique experience uh Mm -hmm. brilliance and passion to create something that transformed the marketplace fundamentally
2: yeah yeah i think that's spot on i mean obviously new technologies new software i expect in 20 years time there's going to be a a marketing and advertising opportunities in perhaps virtual worlds that we don't quite have yet so yeah. there's it's certainly going to be new uh, platforms and tactics but like you point out I mean even if you're reading something like the e-myth or even if you go back even further and and read some books that speak to uh, our kind of like Andrew Carnegie related books kind of at the early 20th century obviously there's a lot of uh, dubious uh, content in there where you're speaking perhaps on why men rather than women might perhaps be favorable entrepreneurs and things that are slightly outdated in that respect but their concepts the overarching concepts they they've been around for a long long time and, and won't go anywhere and as you point out it's just a case of taking those concepts and and tweaking them based on your experience to hopefully provide a new uh, some new educational content, some new exp- uh, some new uh, guidance for people who are who are in your boat and, and in your shoes.
1: Right. Okay. So you gave us some great points here that you wanted us to cover when you and I were chatting in the green room, and I do want to make sure that we hit those because these are questions that I have, and these are questions some of our listeners have shared with me when they heard that you were going to be on the show. Met, you know, people on the Business Creators Radio Show. If you see an episode that's advertised as upcoming you have the opportunity to pre-submit questions. If we haven't yet recorded the interview, we can include these in the interview. And even if we've already recorded it, uh, we sometimes can go to the guest and get the answer you're looking for. So I just want to remind our listeners of that. So you've mentioned that there's this number one mistake you see new entrepreneurs make. I want to guess this is the build it and they will come thing, but maybe it's something different. So I'm going to pose it to you as a question.
2: Well, I mean, build it and they will come is is, a, is, a, is a, a different way of saying. What I would say really is just lack of validation. And and that ties into build it and they will come because if someone's building it and expecting them to come, they clearly haven't done the, the validation and proven that this is a, a solution the market needs and, and a price point that they're going to be willing to pay and will make you profitable. So I think the number one is, is lack of validation but if I may I want to mention a different one because I would like to hear, hear your thoughts on it as someone who's oh. more involved in the space prior because it's something that we're seeing so much in 2022 post-COVID in this new world and it's, it's that the, the person behind the idea is as important if not more important than the value of the product itself and so what we're seeing more and more in 2022 and even 2021 versus let's say 2015 in 2015 if you came to if you came and had a really great product a really innovative product that looked really cool and people thought hey this is spot on it doesn't matter within reason who made it who's the founder what the process behind the scenes is. They just want this really cool product. This year, I feel like we're seeing a big change and it's not just about the product now, but it's much, much more about, okay, who's behind this? Do I trust them? Do they have credibility? Am I going to receive something? You know, with the internet and scams and this and the other, we're seeing this and then we talk about mistakes. I guess a big mistake that we're seeing now, in addition to the lack of validation is the lack of, understanding that their credibility as an entrepreneur is as important as the brilliance of the product that they're they're trying to sell. And for me, that's something recent. But I guess, what do you think about that?
1: Well, I think that... um... Now, going back to what I said earlier, there's really nothing new under the sun. And I've been around long enough to see things come and go and recognize the histories, the backstories, the ancestry lines, and also the recycling efforts. So a lot of it, as I've said, it's really a matter of how you rename it more Mm -hmm. than anything else, candidly, and how you take it and apply it to a current situation. So something that you used for, say yahoo groups can be applicable to facebook groups you just take in mind that there are two different softwares that had two different features and two different avatar audiences you can make those adjustments and take some of those same tactics and make them apply i can tell you this firsthand because i have clients who have facebook groups now who have yahoo groups back in the day and the similarities definitely exist okay
2: yahoo groups i didn't know that was a thing but live they used to take a look, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yahoo used to do a lot of things. It used to have its own messenger program. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on about some of the things Yahoo used to do back in in the day until competition just sort of got ahead of it. Now, uh, Now, how can, let's say somebody wants to do a launch and we hear that that's so expensive. How can somebody implement what you teach on a limited budget?
0: I think
2: it's, it's, a perfectly doable and achievable process on a limited budget, which is, I mean, which is partly why I wrote the book because you don't, yes, obviously an agency and and working with someone like us and and like myself allows you to do things perhaps at a a faster pace and, and scale more quickly and not make some of the mistakes you might make as a first time entrepreneur or first time implementing this process. But, but all in all, the, the, one of the biggest benefits of, any sort of launch system like this one is is that you can do it diy you can do it you can take it step by step you can do your testing in a slow and and methodical manner uh where it doesn't need to be an influx of cash right away to running those tests i would say and that's easy for me to say but but let's give a real uh, you know an actual something in practice where someone can can take that and implement it and let's say okay, they, they have almost no money. And let's, let's say they have a hundred bucks that they wanna, they wanna try this out with with ads. And they're saying, well, can I really do anything from an advertising standpoint with a hundred bucks? I think one of the, the benefits that we're seeing in, in the more current times is the ability and the prominence of companies running more pre-order based campaigns where a, a buyer is purchasing something in the future and not right now and Kickstarter or Indiegogo are great examples of that. The the fact that the consumer is getting used to that and it's becoming more common means that there's more opportunity. And so what we're seeing a number of our clients do, and this is the approach I would suggest for someone trying to DIY with with a limited budget is using that kind of pre-order type marketing effort to fund in addition to their production to also fund their marketing. So we have, for example, uh, campaigns where users are putting down deposits for products and they're just putting perhaps a $20 deposit down for a, a product that will be $250 in a year's time. Right. And, and they pay the remainder in a year's time. Now, if we can get a hundred, you know, of those, of those $20, Then we're actually starting to bring cash flow in for the business, and they can then reinvest that cash flow uh, in areas that are important to them. So, this is all to say even if you have a limited budget, there are strategies and there are ways that you can start generating cash flow without having to deliver, produce, or even manufacture a product yet, uh, in order to help get yourself off the ground and start giving you. Some of those that financial uh, sort of financial backing to 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 make some of these uh, bigger campaigns and, and and bigger launches. So that I kind of I would lean very heavily on a pre-order or deposit-based campaign if I didn't have budget because that would give me access to cash without actually having to
1: sell a product yet. Wow, that's quite something. Now. On the other hand, so many people have gotten burned that way. They've Mm -hmm. put up money up front for something that never materialized and they never got their deposit back. And I unfortunately, and this was many, many years ago, about three businesses ago, I had this client who uh, would launch product after product and they would uh, would insist on taking it to the marketplace before the thing was fully developed, promising that certain bonuses and certain modules would be added within Mm -hmm. a week or two of the doors opening. And then they never got around to it. Mm -hmm. and then uh, they even had people complain saying hey I actually signed up because I was looking for that bonus module seven and it's like oh oh well Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah and unfortunately there are stories about that so Mm -hmm. uh, you know in that particular case I ultimately got rid of that client but one of the intermediate steps is I told them that uh, they can they can pre-launch to their heart's content but before I assist them in doing anything that involves an open shopping cart on that product, every single piece has to be created. Even if they are holding it back uh, mm-hmm. to release to two weeks in or something like that, you have to show me it's created and done. So if it's a bonus video, I have to actually be holding that completed video in my hands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Question mm-hmm. is, how do we give people confidence mm-hmm. to invest in something that doesn't exist yet, knowing that unfortunately there are so many of these stories out there?
2: Yeah. And that I mean that that's kind of the credibility aspect that I mentioned to you and you spoke about you know it's been happening you know it's not a new thing people scamming others but I do think right. that platforms like the crowdfunding platforms and just the way I mean frankly covid and the solutions and and kind of the masks and the products that came to market in covid really sped up the lack of trust from some consumers because there were so many companies offering something that wasn't really what they said it was so that's why the credibility comes in so i guess there's a couple of things that i would point to for that number one is like i mentioned before kind of focusing more on the person than the product I do, it's, it's not often in my experience people are necessarily super worried they won't get something what they what i see them be more worried about is should this process not proceed as they expected, what are their options to hold someone accountable? And so what we can do is make sure that those lines of accountability are crystal clear. And one way of doing that is making sure that the entrepreneur in question is front-facing and their LinkedIn profile, their email, frankly, even their phone number. This entrepreneur should not be hiding or trying to shy away behind a brand name. They're not Apple, and they're not going to get it, get away with that. So I would say, number one, the way we're going to try and avoid the skepticism that does exist is by putting the entrepreneur and getting personal with the customer or potential customers and showing them that, hey, this is a person, this is who you're going to hold accountable should it not happen, and making sure that there's nowhere for that entrepreneur to, to shy away from. Now, from the platform standpoint, if you get past an early pre-order type, pre-production or deposit type funnel, like I just spoke about, and you're leaning more into, let's say a crowdfunding platform, which is a bit more of an investment, then those platforms, along with agencies like us, have a process for trust and verification. You know, we, we do have an internal process when we're taking on clients that is essentially a checklist that we have to make sure, uh, is abided by for us to take them on. And one example of that now is that kind of personal uh, accountability uh, to, to the customer. Uh, the platforms have a bit more of a technical uh, specification that they're gonna be verifying and they do require things like you suggest, like videos. Uh, you'll see on crowdfunding platforms that they have certain uh, kind of like milestones or checks that are badges that campaigns can have that verify, hey, there is a working prototype. This does exist, or this is in manufacturing. And in order, in order to get those kind of badges, you're required to to send over things like um, manufacturing uh, agreements or shipping numbers or anything like that that can actually verify what you're saying is true. Now, there's there's still going to be people who who are out there doing what they're doing and, and scamming people, and and frankly, I'm not personally an expert in consumer packaged goods or in hardware. So I'm not going to have as deep a knowledge on kind of technical specifications of a product. So we can't, as much as we try and as much as the platforms try, you know, there are certain areas where we're just not going to be able to determine whether or not a product is capable of doing what it what it says it can do. And we just have to take the word of the entrepreneur and the information they give us, that what they say is true but if i mean there are many youtube channels and and other subreddits who will uh, spend a lot of time and have a great great group of people who are actually seeking out kind of vaporware and, and projects or launches that, that don't seem true or viable and they're giving therefore that they're, they're, they're announcing those warnings i suppose and giving the backers or the customers the chance to change their decision or, or opt out of that purchase before um before the window of opportunity closes, closes for them. So it's not a perfect system. I know that us along with the rest of the pre-order space are working hard to try and come up with better solutions for that. It's a work in progress, uh, but I think a lot of work has been done on it. And to re-loop back in for us, it's just about being personable and getting their name out there and getting them in front of their customers. And you know, once customers can put a face and a name to a, to a product and a purchase, they tend to get the confidence, and that they're going to be able to hold this purchasing decision and the person they're giving that money to accountable down the line.
1: Okay, so what I, you know, so what uh, you know, I've you know, what one of my conclusions is is that um, is that it's very challenging to find out how effective a product or a service is going to sell until you sell it Mm -hmm. so going back again to your five-step high profit launch system what i'd like to discover more about is how that gives entrepreneurs that go or no go recommendation
2: so the the first step of that of that system is called validation and in that validation period which is usually no more than a few weeks we are running advertising funnels to different offers. And those different offers present us with an opportunity or present us with data where we can see which steps of that buying decision journey this product offer is really appealing to and resonating with and which for which steps there might be objections. So for some more clear examples, a first step is always gonna be in that journey you're going to see an ad and you're then going to visit a web page and so that web page that's usually that's an, it, you know, someone clicks an ad they go to a web page and you can see oh people are obviously interested enough in this idea to have clicked through and and to be interested in, in the concept then maybe someone might sign up and so you're okay not only are they clicking through on an ad and, and acknowledging their interest but that that interest is far enough and big enough for them to actually perhaps submit an email address or something like that And then there's the next step is where they're going to put down some sort of payment or purchase intent and so this is where deposits uh, can come into play nicely or even things like there are funnels you can run which are we call fake buy now funnels which are essentially given the impression of a product being available but perhaps there's an error message or an out of stock message once the consumer takes that purchase action or there's even things like a funnel where we call it a start your order funnel, where a consumer can visit a web page, express their interest in the product, and let's say it's a it's a pair of socks. Uh, the the start your order uh, funnel might then ask them, okay, well, what size are you? What color do you want? What type of socks do you want? And and so on. Each of those funnels, whether it's the buy now, whether it's the deposit, whether it's the start your order, they're all essentially ways of getting intent information instead of just interest information. Someone clicking an ad and signing up, that's interest information. That's someone saying, yes, I'm interested in that. Someone putting down deposits, starting their order, or actually trying to enter a checkout flow, that's a higher level of intent. So what we're trying to collect in that step one validation is purchase intent beyond just window shopping or interest. And then what we can do is map that data to all of our benchmark data. So obviously we've done this many, 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 many dozens of times, hundreds of times, and we have uh, a lot of data that we can look to. And so if we're launching a, a new microphone, we can run a validation funnel, and then we can compare that data to other validation funnels for microphones or audio related products we've run. And we can just look at those benchmarks and say, well, product A far outperformed product B, Product C didn't do well at all. It was missing the benchmark here, here, and here. And so that will generally give us a very good understanding of what's going to happen if someone really ramps this up and goes and goes all in. It's not perfect, you know. There are going to be times when a small amount of ad spend in a quick funnel isn't, uh, isn't going gonna to give full and clear guidance on exactly what's going to happen next and profitability of a funnel. However, it's very, very, very good at identifying red flags. And so you talk about no-go. I also use the word red flag metrics. And if there's going to be a red flag in your sales funnel, in your sales journey, in your in your journey in trying to sell this product to consumers, the validation funnel that we run, step one of the system is, is almost guaranteed, if not guaranteed to identify that red flag and point it out to you. So it gives you that, no go well in advance of spending a lot of money on pursuing an idea or pursuing a project. And and I just wanna be clear, no go doesn't necessarily mean never go. It just means, okay, let's step back here. There's something that needs to be improved, whether it's the product offer, whether it's the design, whether it's the funnel, whether it's the pricing, but there needs to be some sort of change in this offer for you to successfully scale this product up. So no-go is is a real crystal clear red flag. And it's not a never-go, it's just a changes need to be made type situation.
1: So let me uh, make sure I captured something here. Uh, You mentioned the idea of having uh, a funnel where the person begins to place the order and then it tells them that the product is sold out.
2: There, there are funnels that will, that will do that and click purchase intent, yes.
1: Okay. Uh, and, the idea, and the idea behind it is that you would actually, and again, I'm asking this from a newbie perspective, you would actually invest time and money into this, driving visitors to it to see how many initiate the process to build a list for it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, with that particular funnel, what we're usually looking for is pricing malleability. So with a with a with that type of funnel, what we can very quickly and easily do without having to build out, you know, Shopify stores or whatnot is see how users see basically what percentage of users will click buy now on a particular product offer at a particular price point on what appears to be just a regular website. And with that information, let's say it's a 10% buy now click rate. We then also have the information of how much that product price would be, should someone have converted. And also we have benchmark data on what percent of people who click buy now do actually convert. We'll have data on how much does it cost to drive a visitor to this web page. So with that buy now funnel, what we're able to identify is not just who's interested, but which price points could generate the highest profitability for that particular business.
1: I see, I see. Because I, because actually, I find the idea intriguing—the uh, idea that uh, you actually get them to declare their intent—and I, and I'm glad I asked the follow-up question because now I'm hearing about price malleability and seeing how far you can get them down that process. Because I mean, I see, in fact, to this day, there's probably stuff left over. I've been out of that business for going on seven or eight years now. There are probably still web pages and shopping cart pages that my company set up way back when uh, that are still saying that something's available for sale until they try and check out. And then they're put on a waiting list that are told it's sold out. I bet you some of those are still there. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and and, and- the reason the reason those were put there was just to maintain the methodology and the technology so they could be flipped on again at any given time. Uh, Whether by us or by somebody else they hired, it's uh, either war was fine by me at that point. Uh, But you're actually suggesting that we leverage those types of things as market test assets. I am and and I sense a little bit of skepticism, which is a good thing because Oh no, no, not not skepticism, <laughs> curiosity, because I've never heard of it actually being used as a strategy before. I've been I've heard of it used as a catch all so that you don't lose any latent visitors who might click on an email or see a social media post from like two months ago.
2: Right. And and I mean skepticism that's that's great, that's great. But, but you, if, if it were skepticism, I think that's important because you might have some listeners as we yeah. do clients who say, hold on a second, this doesn't feel right. You know, what's or, so, or something yeah. along those lines. And, and that's completely fair. Some brands don't want to give the impression that they have a checkout open and then only to say, only to effectively disappoint the potential buyer. And so that, that's a perfectly reasonable um, note. And for those listening who might feel that way, there are ways we, we can work around that. There are ways, you know, there are two other funnels that I already mentioned that are also ways to collect purchase intent so that buy now funnel doesn't have to happen. But what I would point out, number one is is generally, in my opinion, the pros of running these kind of funnels far, far outweigh the cons. And this brings to light skepticism we see with a, with a deposit funnel. People's clients say to us, I would never put down a deposit on a product like this from a website or, or a company that I, that I don't know. And that's a perfectly reason, that may be true of many consumers. They may never put down a deposit, but we're not really comparing, we're not assessing the whole market like that. What we're trying to do is see how this particular funnel compares to another same funnel in a similar consumer space. And so audio to audio, you know, water bottle to water bottle, it, uh, phone to phone, computer to computer, sports goods to sports goods. And so it doesn't matter if 70% of consumers think this is s- uh, skeptical or are skeptical of the funnel, because we're only looking at the data of those who don't. So I, I would flag that. And then just with regards to the buy now, just to go back to your actual question, yeah, I mean it's a wonderful pricing malleability test because you can run, let's say you're launching, let's say you're launching a, a book and you're thinking, well, do I price this at $9.99, $14.99, $19.99, $24.99? With it with a really relatively small amount of ad spend to run on that test, you can get enough data. It's not going to be Statistically significant enough, perhaps for the Harvard Business Review, but it's going to be indicative enough to tell you if you were to put $10,000 or $50,000 more down that price point on on that funnel, what might you see happen? What might that return be? And we have a profitability model that we use with our clients to build that out. So it is absolutely, I understand that some people, it might not be their cup of tea. Maybe they want to try a different path, and that's completely understandable. All of these funnels exist. For different reasons for different types of people they're all different ways to validate purchase intent that that uh, buy now funnel in particular if you're interested in understanding what will be my roi on a marketing campaign where i spend ten thousand dollars promoting this product the buy now funnel is going to give you a really good indication of what that roi could be at those different price points and you know therefore help make a business decision on on that pricing
1: Right, and and again, I'm not opposed to the idea. I'm actually curious about it because I never heard it presented quite this way before. Just to reiterate, I'm familiar with setting up pages like that and setting up funnels like that, but it's more like catch-alls Mm-hmm. For things that have closed so they don't just get an error message or a 404 message. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a way of redirecting. It's also a way of maintaining all of the you know the tech stack that was built, um, mm-hmm. all the sales pages, all the infrastructure for the, for the launch sequence or have you so that at any given time it can be picked up and just rerun again. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I mean, I mean what we've done with a lot of our clients is we've set them up with, uh, with offers that they can rinse and repeat twice a year. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so they can create and so they have actually routine revenue events the same way that uh, a a musical act on tour will have a a concert routine they're going to be you know regardless of what they do throughout the year they're going to be in these nine cities on approximately these dates and the rest of it is just other stuff they can pick up but they have that core tour they do every year so it's sort of like the same thing and that's uh, that's part of what i like about what you're offering here because it can give people the framework to begin to not only set that up, but also to have the, the flexibility to test things, test ongoing viability of existing offers, and also test new things you may want to bring into the mix. So let's have a little bit of fun here, actually. Uh, what are some of the favorite campaigns that you've worked on?
2: Ooh, I think one, one that always stands out to me was a campaign we worked on very early on in my business, called Sheets and Giggles. And that was a, a bedding company that, that we helped launch. It didn't, I mean, we worked with them for, for a good couple of years and it was very successful overall. I don't point to them because they had a, a, a you know, $10 million month one, no, but I point to Sheets and Giggles because it was a really fun campaign to work on. It was a really fun brand to work with. And to have seen over the last four or five years that brand grow, and know that we and, and our launch system were, were a part of, of the ignition of that brand has been really, really nice to, to, to see and and look back on. In terms of, I think the perhaps bigger or, or funner campaigns to be on from a, a money-making standpoint and seeing those big numbers, we've had a few. I mean, there was one called One Clock we did uh, was it this year or last year? And 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 they topped the million dollar mark, and that was a great brand to work with. Uh, Shine is another company who we've done four or five different launches with now over the last year, and and I think they've done over a million dollars in revenue through those launches. And and so, I mean, every I guess fun is 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 an ambiguous ambiguous word used in different ways. But frankly, we're we're a big we're big learners you know and we we, obviously we're marketers so we we enjoy testing and learning new things and running experiments and even campaigns that I look back on and they were horrible or they were really tough to work on you know you come out of it with a real good learning and a really good perspective to to move on from so so those are my favorites I think if I really point one that I really enjoyed being a part of it would be that Sheets and Giggles one
1: a few years back sheets and giggles i love that name <laughs> oh, all right yeah. so that's an,
2: that's an example of how fun they are yeah, exactly. yeah
1: so so one so one of my one of my favorites of one of my favorites was this one that i was actually a little bit skeptical about and this was one of my really high ticket launches defined as we charge the client a lot of money to manage it so already that put it in the top echelon just because the client was willing to pay our fairly high fees for it mm-hmm. and their topic was on something called resonance repatterning, which deals with things like generational traumas, breaking the cycle, and uh, the use of various techniques around facilitating that. And uh, I even went into it thinking, this is so woo woo. Who the hell's going to buy this? Mm. And then the thing absolutely just. I mean it was it, I mean we opened the doors on that thing it's like we blew the doors off. I I I could not believe how many people were willing to plunk down large amounts of the money to participate in a group that would get together and do meditation chants to resolve the conflicts their great grandparents had.
2: So it was it was like a mastermind type group that was being sold there.
1: In a way, in a way, sort of, but not exactly. It's mm. uh, it's actually very kind of challenging to describe, and because uh, it's such a unique thing, I'm trying not to describe it in too much detail, uh, just to pre- just to preserve the uh, confidentiality of the client, even right. though they're a client from many years ago. <laughs> but but well. but what it opened my eyes up to is something that I had been saying um, in a theoretical way for years. But it was being shown to me in a practical way that I hadn't seen up until now. Is the answer to the question: What is something worth? What somebody will pay for today?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's spot on. I mean, people always ask me now, "What do you know? Do you think this product's going to do well? What do you think about this product?" And without data, I mean, just like you, things can be really surprising. I I, I find projects that I think are really exciting and they don't necessarily hit the mark with the consumer. And I see things, I'm like, blind me. I, I can't possibly imagine who the buyer is for this, but they, like you say, they, they blow the doors off and it's just a, a stark reminder that me as an individual consumer, I'm just not representative. And we've always got to look at that data and, and see what it's telling us because it's full of surprises.
1: Yeah, cer- certainly. Uh, so what... <sighs> What is happening right now when the launch industry, particularly in these times of economic uncertainty and recession, and there's a lot of dislocation going on?
2: Yeah, it's a tough year for e-commerce. I mean, just, just a couple of weeks back, I was I was reading a number of studies which were suggesting that kind of e-commerce growth or this, that, and the other was, was actually doing well. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure... I'm not sure what they're looking at here because certainly the kind of clients that we work with, the the, the very early stage startups, they're having a really tough time. The the advertising costs have gone up, shipping costs have gone up. Like we mentioned, some of the the skepticism post COVID and online shopping is, is lingering. So I think the biggest thing we're just seeing is more and more consumers tightening the belt and less willing to take, the types of financial risks on buying goods that they might have done a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And so from our standpoint, it's again pushing that credibility and trust and making sure that they don't just, the, the consumer doesn't just have faith in the product and this being a solution they need, but they have faith in the people behind the product that they will deliver what they're promising they will deliver. And then I would also just flag how important it is to diversify your marketing efforts there have been companies that we worked with 2016 2017 who did phenomenally well and they lean almost 100 percent on things like facebook ads meta advertising and that was that was a remarkable channel for many many years but it's been a real tr- tricky one for a lot of folks in the last year and a half and it's been very challenging and so these companies that did phenomenally well in 2017. Just they, all of a sudden, just their whole acquisition channels were, were switched off, and they didn't have any 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 Plan B. So I think now more than ever is a reminder uh, for us and for a lot of folks starting out to don't put all your eggs in one basket. Super important from a customer acquisition standpoint.
1: Yeah, yeah i i couldn't I couldn't agree more. So if you had you know, going back to really the the title of our conversation The, the entrepreneurs of the build and they come mentality are destined to fail. Uh, and combining now with what I'm about to ask here, you know, what is if, if you had a piece of advice that you would offer uh entrepreneurs who are either just starting out as entrepreneurs who, who are looking to enter a new space perhaps, what uh what advice would you have for them?
2: Please, please validate your your offer, so your idea and the price point you need to let it at before embarking on that journey too far. Uh, <clears throat> get that information, not just, you know, people putting their hands up and saying, yeah, this is cool, I'm interested, but people actually giving you or showing some sort of indication, they would give you a clear indication that their money for the product idea or for the product, I should say. And then secondly, more important this year than perhaps in previous ones, really look at the the back end of that business and the shipping costs and the logistics and the manufacturing and really understand now, what does your profitability look like? Because it's been a crazy couple of years and numbers are all over the place. And, um, unfortunately, if you, if you go and look at the crowdfunding platforms, you see many entrepreneurs failed to, to really account for, uh the 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 profitability and and the and the the financial models that they should have done so comes down purely and simply to test and validate that your product idea is something the market wants and get real intent from strangers not from not from family and friends and make sure you have that confidence before spending hours and weekends and nights and thousands of dollars on on that next step
1: oh okay okay i I, I think that's I think that's really really great. And I, and I'm so glad that we um and I'm so glad that we've been able to have this conversation here. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite everybody all of our listeners to go to your website which is www.launchin5book.com. And that's the number 5, not the word 5. www.launchin5book. And what the uh, the Launch in 5 book is about is your guide to launching products and acquiring your customers. So this is where you get to dive in and discover that five-step high-profit launch system. And you've seen results and Will's report results of generating up to a million dollars in 30 days. And that is kind of high-end, but think about what even a fraction of that would do for your business and for your life. And think about being able to implement just a few of the things that Will and I have discussed today and do it in a way that's systematic, automatic, and actually will move your business forward and help you capitalize you can go to that website you can learn more about the book you can see some of the results and you can see the options to order it uh, right now today so again that's www.launchandfivebook.com. and with that will russell thank you so much for being with us today it's been an honor and believe me in education
2: thanks so much for having me it's been a real pleasure
0: we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the business creators radio show